Welcome to Everyday Heroes with your host, Jody Carroll. Good afternoon out there. I'm Jody Carroll, and it's time for another hour focusing on the greatest among us, the everyday heroes out there who sometimes go unnoticed. And this week is National School Choice Week, so we're going to focus on expanding freedom in our education system, and not just freedom for parents and their kids as far as what school to choose, but also for our nation's teachers. First up for that discussion is Colin Sharkey, and he is the executive vice president of a nonprofit called the Association of American Educators. Colin, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having me. Let's start with um, your organization. I, it's new to me, and what you, you're doing is new to me. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of teachers out there who might f- not know uh, about you as well. But let's start with the founding of your organization. Yes, um, that's great. So the Association of American Educators, we're the largest national non-union teacher association. And in that sense, we're the true professional association for teachers nationwide. More than 20 years ago, teachers recognized that the uh, supposed professional association, the labor unions that, that uh, represent teachers, weren't doing an excellent job representing their teachers, supporting students, focusing on what their members thought they should focus on. They had become very partisan and political. The support they were giving was limited, certainly not guaranteed to defend teachers in the way that uh, they were willing to pay dues to have that job security. And really, we're not positive or or looking forward on how to make our education system better. So they organized to create an alternative so that the teachers throughout the country who want to belong to a positive professional association to advance their career and support the work and the passion that brought them to the field uh, can get all of the benefits they need to do so, all the professional benefits that a teacher needs, with none of the partisan politics and negativity the strikes, the collective bargaining, all of the other parts of what the union focuses on. And that's what we've been doing for, for more than 20 years, and I'm glad to talk about it today. So how many states are you guys in? We have members in all 50 states, tens of thousands of members throughout the country. Um, our membership is concentrated in states where teachers currently have an option when it comes to their professional association. Uh, half the country, the states allow unions to require that the teachers in the school where they're unionized have to pay almost the same as as membership dues uh, in the neighborhood of 80 percent of dues so those teachers not only are they already shelling out several hundred dollars a year to a union they don't belong to uh aren't also paying for another organization so our membership is concentrated in the right to work states as well as the charter school community uh, throughout the country which those schools are primarily not unionized so I want to get into the cost differences with the product um, that you're providing for these teachers compared to that of the unions, like a cost versus benefits difference, because I know it's big. Yes. It's big. It is. It's one of our primary selling points, really, and, and it, it actually takes a moment when people first hear about us to understand how this is possible, because the union has really been the only choice, uh, where it even is a choice, sometimes it's actually an obligation. Uh, for teachers. So that's kind of a novel concept when they hear about it, but they're excited and, and a lot of teachers join when they have the chance to find out about AAE. So union membership, depending on the state and whether or not there's forced unionism in the state, can range from $550 to over eleven or $1,200 a year. And primarily people are joining the union to get their professional uh, liability insurance from through the union. 
And there's the impression that their their job is more secure if they have the union support. That's certainly the traditional union model uh, in the private industry, that their job is protected if they have union support. This is actually an illusion that they have any kind of guaranteed support. In fact, in some cases, the union advocates policies that threatens their job. A, a young teacher who comes in who isn't tenured, who... Uh, this, the district has to cut back. If that teacher could be an award-winning, phenomenal, effective educator that the students and parents and, and other teachers at the school love, if they're the last one to have joined that school, the union has supported policies to let that teacher go in order to keep more senior teachers and, of course, their own members who've been paying dues. So you could pay $1,200 a year and get almost nothing for it uh, is, is the problem. The teachers who joined AAE and, and started this organization, they created a model where you have real, genuine benefit, a liability insurance policy, access to attorneys when there's a job action. And because it doesn't engage, we don't engage in, in partisan politics, mm-hmm. election politics, issues that have nothing to do with education, we can charge much less than the union does. So AAE is sixteen fifty a month, which is wow. a fraction of what people are paying the union to get quality professional liability insurance that is, has some guaranteed coverages, so they're actually getting something in return for their dues, plus the peace of mind that they're not funding a political operation that supports issues that have nothing to do with education. It might actually be counter to the members' own goals. So less than $200 a year for what you're providing versus 500 to 1100 or 1200 with the unions. That's right. For a $198 a year for a real source of protection uh, that doesn't forfeit the well-being of our students. The professional liability insurance and the legal support that comes with it is very real uh, quality guaranteed coverage that when there's an issue, we want to make sure that great teachers that do process have, have due process and, and that they're defended and that mm-hmm. we don't lose wonderful, passionate teachers either because of a misunderstanding or an allegation or a mistake. Uh, we want to make sure the students' well-being you know, first and foremost, is taken care of. Uh, but you do want to be able to resolve the issue to make sure that, that great teachers are still in the classroom. And you don't want to create a system that makes sure that the job is protected rather than asking whether or not that teacher should be anywhere near students. Mm-hmm. If you or I wouldn't let our kids near that person, we certainly shouldn't be trying to uh, protect that job just because they were a dues-paying member, and our, our policy doesn't do that either. It doubles the typical liability insurance coverage that the union offers, so the $2 million individual policy, and it's a policy that's in the member's name. We don't, Mm -hmm. AAE doesn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, they can't say, hey, we don't really like you, or you were slow to make your last payment, or you're kind of a troublemaker, we're actually not going to be able to extend any coverage to you. It's an insurance policy that's in their name, help them service and, and file their, their claims for, but otherwise it's going to be there when they need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's real peace of mind that lets teachers focus on what's important, which is the students in their classroom. So I want to get to the reason, uh, where is all that extra money going in the unions if they're providing, you know, f- if they're charging so much more? I mean, there's, there's got to be costs in collective bargaining that takes time and therefore money, but what does account for that dramatic cost difference in your opinion? Well, as you can imagine, the union's not thrilled to share <laughs> their books to show what they're spending their money on because I think their members 
would be disappointed to see how the money is being spent. Mm-hmm. Certainly, some of it is going to political activity and causes that it's allowed to. There is certainly um, some laws preventing the money going directly to elections, but certainly the, the uh, support given to the, the largest labor union and their role as a primary player in, in politics is supporting that activity. That's very expensive, as you can imagine. Uh, there's a lot of uh, staff at the top, as mm-hmm. opposed to our operation. The founder of the organization is still the president. Uh, he and his wife started it essentially in a bedroom uh, with with their own money because they believe so strongly in this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Becker and his wife, Petey, said, we just have to create this and we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, little did they know, you know, 20 plus years later, they'd still be building it and still be working there to make sure that more and more teachers have an opportunity. But it's a very different mentality on what we're trying to accomplish. It allows us to keep our dues low. Uh, we've raised them, I think, once by $18 in the last eight years, because every time the idea even comes up, we want to make sure, is this still going to be a viable option mm-hmm. for members to escape the union? And even those who aren't in the union, to get the coverage they need. We want teachers to have this kind of support so that we're not chasing great teachers out of education. We're losing too many people uh, who have the passion and skills that our students need, and the system is scaring them away. Uh, And and we want to make sure that we put a stop to that. Do you guys get a lot of heat from union leaders? Uh, Yes, they are are not fans of what we do. Uh, They consider it a threat. I, I, fortunately, you know, they, they mostly kind of swatted us uh, much of the time. They're, they have lots of enemies they uh, are, are uh, going after. And they, they certainly don't want to have to persuade their members to belong. It's why they defend right. forced unionism right. so much. It's why they attack right to work. We just want an opportunity to present the options to the members, the teachers, mm-hmm. and let them decide. Right. If they want to belong to the union and pay those dues for those benefits, by all means, they're welcome to. Uh, but we do want them to know there's an alternative out there. And it may even raise some questions of saying, what are you doing with my $1,100 mm-hmm. if this organization can do more for me for $198? Where's the rest of it going? We know when a state becomes right to work, the union dues are lower Mm-hmm. because they have to compete right. with the other options that teachers have, including nothing, no support, no professional association, which, of course, is uh, initially inexpensive, although ultimately that's a big risk. Uh, but the, the, the union is certainly very threatened by having to defend how they're doing, what they're doing, how much they're spending to do it. That is not surprising. Colin, we have to take a quick break here, but for our listeners, please stay tuned. We're going to be right back for more. You are listening to Everyday Heroes. You're listening to Everyday Heroes on Miami's AM880. Welcome back to Everyday Heroes. According to Giving USA 2015, individual giving peaked in 2005. It stayed relatively level before dropping in the first year of the recession and again in the following year. But every year since 2009, charitable giving has seen a gradual increase. 
And that's your charity tidbit for today. Once again, I'm Jody Carroll, and today we're talking about empowering our youth and their families who make their decisions about where to send their kids to school. So we're talking about a national hot-button subject of school choice. For that discussion now is Colin Sharkey, and he's the executive vice president of a nonprofit organization called the Association of American Educators. So Colin, I wanted to help any teacher listeners out there get an understanding of A, how they could um, get involved, how they can get your product, and maybe even start a chapter uh, in their state if there's not one already. Yes, any educator, uh, any K-12, preschool, college, anyone who works and receives a W-2 from an education entity is eligible to join and receive the professional liability insurance that comes with membership. And they can find out a lot more at aaeteachers.org. And I encourage them to start with our code of ethics for educators. We find that that's a a place that a lot of uh, people who have never heard of this option, who have only ever known the union, can really see a distinction between how this professional association who focuses on positive and reform-minded commitment to students, how we see ourselves so differently from what the norm has been, a highly charged political entity. So from there, I wanted to go into a discussion on charter schools. School choice in general, because that's, you know, where this is the National School Choice Week. I wanted to know, what is what are your thoughts, the value of offering choice in in education? Yes, and this is a critical issue for AAE. We've seen ourselves as a choice for teachers from what the norm has right. been the union. So we've been engaged on this kind of trusting teachers, parents to make decisions, mm-hmm. give them the information and the options, allow entrepreneurs like the founder of AAE to create alternatives to what the norm has been. Uh, and, and America responds very well to that, whether it's Uber or Netflix or whatever else. It's saying, I think I can do something differently. I think I can do it better. And you're right if people are joining you. And charter schools with uh, wait, lists, uh, wait lists in the tens of thousands are demonstrating that, mm-hmm. where there is another way to do this to serve those who are underserved in the current environment of traditional district schools. The students who aren't succeeding have this lifeline where they can go somewhere else that has a different model, more flexibility, in some cases more accountability, uh, that they are able to actually succeed there. And if not, the charter school shuts down. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a wonderful thing, and AAE has been very supportive. Our membership has been very supportive of charter schools, even though the majority of our members are actually traditional district school teachers. You know, I wanted to bring something up, because I, I looked up uh, the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and they do... Um, education rankings, and I looked, they're called PISA rankings. I couldn't find the United States, okay, the, science, math, and uh, maybe reading, was it? Science, we weren't even ranked in the top 20. Math and reading, we weren't in the top 12. And I don't know where we were, because the report I saw didn't have us, all they said was, again, we're dropping. And then I look at the OECD, uh, the numbers, and we spend about 31%, I think it was 31% more uh, per full-time equivalent student per year than the OECD average. So something's not right with that, with the fact that we're spending a lot more and yet we're falling behind academically. And so when somebody um, says... Uh, um, uh, we need to protect the monopoly because really that's kind of what that system is about is kind of protecting a a monopoly. 
I think that that should tell anyone, should tell all listeners that maybe it's worth having a discussion about alternatives. And Colin, you said something uh, that I that resonated with me. You, you said that, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear mongering. I, I read something by the NAACP. They were using the word of we're losing our values based on, you know, school choice. And I, th- I think, well, an American value is individual freedom and individual empowerment. So, but that, that we're use, losing our values is a fear mongering thing. And one of the things you said that's really unfortunate, the, the fear mongering rhetoric, and it's so politicized with, you know, one side is good and one side is bad because you want to have a genuine discussion and that fear mongering rhetoric and you know, rhetoric impedes that possibility. And you know, I would contend that that is the single biggest problem in all of our national discussions, but that's what you guys are trying to do is really um, solve the problem, you know, get the job done. That's exactly right. In fact, that, that goes to the founding of AAE. AAE's board has had national teachers of the year, uh, from the beginning, we have state teachers of the year from our own members, as well as serving our, on our advisory board. These are dedicated educators, and they don't even all agree on exactly the course of action, especially for every single student, recognizing that there's a different way to go. However, they can have a professional civil discussion mm-hmm. and disagreement. They can point to research, as well as their own personal experience, to say, this does or doesn't work. And you hear all the time that something's wrong, but you only really ever hear one solution from the union, aside from don't take away any of the power uh, in the current system, don't make any changes to the system. And change, change is scary. That's you know a tactic to kind of uh, frighten people who are succeeding in the current system that you know uh, they're trying to change it on you. They're going to take away your public schools. Uh, but they, they don't want to lose any of their power, and they also keep advocating for more and more money mm-hmm. into that system. We know from our members uh, that you have mentioned some of the, the – um, Program for International uh, Student Assessment data, one global measurement of saying, okay, are we achieving what we should be achieving? And the United States is a, a diverse country, so you, you can really filter down to kind of see which communities mm-hmm. are succeeding and failing and, and even averaging them. We're not scoring very well, uh, and, and in some cases going down. And then we have a national test, the NAEP, that shows the same thing, that a lot of our, our scores have plateaued their level. We're really not making progress, and yet there has been more money. Right. Uh, I don't know that flush with cash, I think, was the expression about the education. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but there's certainly just putting more money into the system is not solving what we're recognizing. Our members, the board uh, members who, who are teachers, they see every day, that was the global you know, sense in the test, they see every day when it doesn't succeed. They see that there's new challenges. They, they don't see all of the money getting pumped into the school either, going into their classroom to support their, their students. Um, so something is certainly wrong, but AAE from the beginning has believed that people who are focused on students, uh, respecting teachers, recognizing that there's a genuine passion and dedication uh, for education, for the people who are in education, they can enter a room and they don't have to necessarily all agree, but they can discuss responsibly, civilly, professionally ways to explore changing that system to improve it for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to make sure the teacher voice is included in those discussions. So improve it for everybody. And so what do you say to that common claim, uh, concern, I should say concern, that if you give kids school choice, only some kids will get out of the bad school, and then there's going to be kids left in the bad school? 
we, we do hear this where I guess if the solution isn't 100% perfect uh, in theory, then we shouldn't even bother trying, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is unfair to the people who are currently experiencing the shortcomings in the system. And you, you've heard uh, some people argue that the school choice reforms that are out there now still only serve a more privileged community. And that's actually kind of what we had before there were any school choice alternatives. School choice used to mean you could afford to send your kids right. somewhere else. Right. I was very fortunate. My, my parents moved into a, a modest house in a great school district because they wanted to make sure their kids had a great education. But even that, being able to move into a great school district, that was a privilege that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we had many others, but that was certainly one that we were very fortunate to have, and it made a big difference in, in the future for me and my, my brothers. There's a lot of people in America who that, they only can rely on these changes to the current zip code school system uh, because, again, like that criticism uh, of, this, of the uh, proposal says, is if it's not for everybody, if everybody can't take advantage of it, let's find a solution where they can and make sure that you're getting students in front of great teachers and giving them an opportunity to great education. That is fantastic. Colin, we are going to um, head to break. And really, I thank you for what you guys do. I wish just the best for your organization. And... Um, I hope uh, education freedom expands well in this country. For our listeners, you can visit their website at aaeteachers.org. If you can't write that down, don't worry, because their website will be linked to the podcast uh, when this episode goes there. But don't go away. We'll be right back with more. You're listening to Everyday Heroes. And we're back with more Everyday Heroes. Yes, welcome back. Everyday Heroes is presented by Think Freely Media, a nonprofit organization committed to promoting the values of human achievement, freedom, and empowerment. Please help us continue our mission and bring shows like Everyday Heroes into the cultural sphere by visiting us at thinkfreelymedia.org. And we greatly appreciate a donation of any size. Once again, I'm Jody Carroll, and this week is National School Choice Week. And in honor of that, today we're talking about just that, school choice in America. We spoke earlier with Colin Sharkey of the Association of American Educators, and their website, once again, is aaeteachers.org, and that website will be linked to our podcast as well. Now I have the great honor to speak with David Hardy, the CEO and co-founder of an all-boys charter school called the Boys Latin of Philadelphia. David, thank you so much for being here today. Good morning. How are you? I am good. I'm battling a little bit of a cold, and it seems it's winning winning the battle lately, but luckily in-studio producer... George saved me with a cough drop. So we're getting through. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so okay, let's, let's talk about um, your school and the history and founding of your charter school. Well, our school was founded. Uh, we, we received our charter in 2009, excuse me, 2006 to be open so we can open in 2007. And when we received our charter, uh, the uh, school district of Philadelphia was doing very poorly um, with boys in general and with African-American boys in particular. And especially when it came to things like college matriculation, college completion rates, uh, 
the rates for African-American boys were incredibly low. So when they gave us the charter, they, they agreed with the mission, that the mission that we had, that we were going to improve the uh, matriculation and graduation rates um, for African-American boys in the West Philly neighborhood that we serve. And so 10 years later, uh, we have a fairly good story to tell. In our very second graduating class, uh, we'll have better than a 50% college completion rate. College completion. Yes, college completion rate of our guys who attended four-year colleges. So that is an incredible number. Um, And we see that number just continuing to go up over the next few years. And the reason why we believe that is that, I mean, our first classes were done with brand-new teachers and a brand-new curriculum and a brand-new school. Well, we got much better over these 10 years, and so we know that, that the educational product that we offer is much stronger. The other thing is we started out with just the high school, grades 9 through 12. Now we start at 6th grade, so we have our guys longer, and we have guys who are going to have six years of Latin. <laughs> if you can believe that, by the time they graduate from high school. So so what happens is it puts us in a much stronger position to prepare our guys for college. So we just see the future as being pretty, pretty uh, rosy. I love it. That is awesome. Are you considering expanding uh, earlier than sixth grade and perhaps females included? Well, you know, we tried to do a, a girls' school here in Philadelphia. We applied for a girls' school, and we were denied. And it was a year where they denied. There were 39 charter applications, 35 got denied. We were one of the ones denied. And it was interesting because we were denied because they did not think, they did not take our experience into account. Here we are. We take, we've taken a very tough population here and done very well with them as far as college matriculation, college completion rate. School district ignored those that success. They wanted they want to look at standardized test scores, which is a way to kind of keep people from from making progress. Okay, so uh, the cackles just went up in the back of my neck. So who denies you? It's it's the school the existing school district that gets to give you the green light or no? Yeah, it's kind of like if you want to open up a McDonald's, you have to get permission <laughs> right. from Burger King. Yes, this is <laughs> what I'm saying. This is why the cackles but, but, go up, because that's, that's a monopoly power market uh, uh, protectionism, if I've ever heard it. Well, it's, it's, it's even more than that. It's bureaucracy on steroids, and it shows mm-hmm. why things don't work mm-hmm. for inner-city schools. And let me give you a quick example. In 1870... In Washington, D.C., they created a school in an African-American neighborhood called uh, Dunbar High School. And the deal with Dunbar High School was they didn't get a lot of support from from the bureaucrats downtown, but they were able to attract a very high-power faculty, guys, and people that went to Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Oberlin, all these great colleges. And they were they were very well educated, and they came down and scooped up the curriculum. And this was a great school. And the deal was that if you went to this school, you had to work hard. You had to mm-hmm. you know, do what they asked. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you got a great education. And from 1870 to 1954, it was the top African-American high school in the country. It produced the first African-American general in the Army, Benjamin wow. O. Davis. 
the first African-American senator post-construction, Edward Brooke, a whole bunch of engineers, scientists, everything. Then they passed Brown versus Board of Education. The school district bureaucracy had to get involved in the school to make sure it was fair for everybody. And it went from the very best school in the country for African-Americans to one of the worst. Oh, that is tragic. David, we have to take a quick break here for our listeners. We won't be gone long, so please stay tuned. You are listening to Everyday Heroes. Welcome back to Everyday Heroes. Welcome back. I'm Jody Carroll. Think Freely Media's Everyday Heroes Project is a multimedia initiative to tell stories of ordinary people transforming their communities. For more episodes and articles, please check out EverydayHeroesProject.com. To make a kind donation of any size toward these efforts, please visit us at ThinkFreelyMedia.org. Once again, it's National School Choice Week, and so we're visiting that subject. And right now, we're speaking with David Hardy, who is the CEO and co-founder of a charter school in Philadelphia called the Boys Latin of Philadelphia. So, David, when we were closing the last segment, you were mentioning how Dunbar High School went from being the best school for black Americans to being the worst. And that is a public school, right? So... I want to. Right. Yeah, let's let's use that as an avenue to discuss what happened. I, you'd mentioned um, um, uh, Brown v. Board of Education, but let's talk, let's get into the nuts and bolts of why that happened and why is Dunbar High School now not doing serving that community and you can. Well, one of the reasons why I, I believe is that. Um, when you when you have the government running schools, they want to make regulations that are supposed to produce results. Uh, regulations about fairness, regulations about uh, what kind of curriculum you have, what's taught, all those types of things. And they always check to see if those things are going on, but they never look at the results. Mm-hmm. And and to me, you want to start with results and work your way backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what's going to produce the outcomes that you want? We want kids to graduate from college. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to graduate from college, we know that they need to have a rigorous high school experience. We know that they need to know how to do homework. They need to develop some personal responsibility. These are things that we know how to do in schools, but if we don't take on those tasks, we won't prepare the kids for success. We're focused on how they do on a standardized test. And for most cases in inner city schools, the only thing a standardized test tells you is how well that child walked into the school prepared. It doesn't Mm -hmm. tell you what the school did to prepare that child. Um, So standardized tests aren't always a clear indication of how well a school is doing. But a graduation rate from college uh, the ability to, to, to matriculate to a four-year college and to graduate from it, to me, that's solid evidence that the high school did its job. And so that's where we should be looking when we evaluate high schools. How did the kids do when they left that high school? So one of the biggest uh, concerns, and I asked Colin this earlier, uh, one of the biggest concerns about charter schools and school choice that um, generally tends to arise is, you know, what happens to those kids that 
get left behind and they're stuck in that bad school. What do you say to that? Well, that's an interesting point because we live in a society now where we have a good we have a good charter school in the inner city neighborhood, and they have a lottery for it, and you have hundreds of kids more than they can accommodate applying for the school. So that's their answer. Let's just make it fair. We'll pick some names out of the hat, make it to go, and everybody else fail. Well, that, to me, that seems insane. It seems to me if you have a school that's serving the kids' needs and they're, they're oversubscribed, you need to expand that school. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. school's working. Don't, don't send other kids back to something that you know doesn't work and refuse to expand something that does. Mm-hmm. We need to look for change. We need to look for people who can make improvements here. And, and that improvement doesn't have to be taking them from zero to 60. We, have, we need to be able to appreciate incremental improvements mm-hmm. because if we don't understand that and we're not looking to move schools to make improvements every year, what you have is a whole bunch of kids stuck in places where they can't get a good education. And that's what we have now and, and way too much in most inner city neighborhoods. So let me ask you this. I mean, is there a possibility your school does really well? What, you know, an education is a, is a, it takes a lot of players. I mean, it first, first of all, the student, and then there's the home life, and then there's the school life, and a lot of other things going into it. But do you think that the fact that your people choose your school, the students and their parents, there might be a bit a bit of a different attitude coming into your school, and that might help your results be better? And if so, oh, how, how does absolutely. that how does that feed into then? the public school system where, you know, those teachers in that system, they can't control whether or not the student shows up intellectually and the parents have the desire. Do you know what I'm saying? It it, it creates a problem for them. I mean, you know, they, they always talk about uncooperative parents and uncooperative students. Well, if you lived on 8th Street and your mother lived on 8th Street and your grandmother lived on 8th Street, and they've all gone to the 8th Street school and they've never done any, they've never done well, going to the A Street School. Now it's your turn to go to the A Street School. You're not going to walk in there with the best attitude because you don't see a real good outcome from that. You you know what your experience has been in your family at that school. Why would you go in there with a good attitude? We need to have parents make the choice as to where their child goes to school. You know, there seems to be a lot of argument about who runs the school, and I don't think the parents care whether it's charter or public or private, they don't care who's running the school. What they want is a place where their child is going to be educated. Mm -hmm, And that's the important thing. So we need to be looking at how the child progresses in the school, what happens to the child after the school. And the people who can, can make the most progress in those areas, those are the schools we want. Those are the schools we should fund. Those are the schools that are going to help the community. And anybody who doesn't is not an asset to the community, and we really don't need them. And, and, and that means schools that have been failing for a long time and are unwilling to change, close them. I'm all for it. All right. David, we're going to take a quick break uh, for our listeners. We'll be right back. You're listening to Everyday Heroes. And we're back with more Everyday Heroes. Welcome back to Everyday Heroes. I'm Jody Carroll. 
Everyday Heroes is dedicated to highlighting the leaders in our nation who have chosen to step up and take the initiative to organize and create positive changes all throughout our communities. To make a kind donation of any size toward these efforts, please visit us at thinkfreelymedia.org. Again, that's thinkfreelymedia.org. And once again, this week is National School Choice Week, and so that's the topic of discussion for today. With me now, once again, is David Hardy, the CEO and co-founder of an all-boys charter school in Philadelphia called The Boys Latin of Philadelphia. So, David, I wanted to discuss uh, something I read from the NAACP that said that the whole concept of choice in the whole school choice push is false, that there's not really choice, that, you know, um, only kids who can get out, get out. And so it's not really a choice for everyone. And they want to fund everyone equally instead, all schools equally instead. What Talk about that article and that sort of uh, claim. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the NAACP didn't get this one right. And I don't think this was the entire membership of the NAACP. This was the executive committee. These were the people at the top. And it seems to me that they brought the argument that is kind of uh, being perpetuated by the teachers' unions, and that is that charter schools don't serve all kids. Um, One of the reasons charter schools don't serve all kids is because they have things like caps Mm -hmm. on on charter schools. Like you just mentioned earlier. Yeah, you can't serve as many kids as as you want to. But the other thing, too, is this. Um, You know... They make the they make the good the enemy. I mean, the perfect the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and look, you have a school in a bad neighborhood where not very many kids are making progress, and you open up a school and you can serve those kids. Now they they want you to believe that it's better for you to shut that school down so everybody will have the same equal access to a bad education mm-hmm. than to keep that school open and then try to work to have other schools get better. It seems to me that's what the neighborhood wants. They want to see a positive improvement. They don't want to see taking steps backward in the name of equality. And that's what the NAACP is actually proposing. They want the kids to take a step backward in the name of equality. So what are your thoughts on the um, uh, Betsy DeVos uh, as the nomination for Secretary of Education? Look, Betsy DeVos has a reputation as being for kids, an expanded opportunity for kids, no matter where they live or what their family income is. So I can't imagine that that's going to be a bad thing for public education. Uh, I know that there's been some criticism of Betsy DeVos. I think you have to consider the source. That that criticism is pr- pretty much coming from the people who are well invested in the status quo in public education, and they don't want anything to change. Betsy DeVos represents change and that's what scares people but that's what i think is the best opportunity for us that we can change this and make it better so are you considering branching out on your maybe franchising your model given that it's so successful and then allowing others to take it in other states and other areas well well certainly we're open to helping people do that we're not franchising it i i gotta be honest with you this is my last year. I've been here 10 years. I started this school. I've been here 10 years. Uh, six years ago, I brought in my successor. So he's been here for six years. So I know this place is running well, and I want to step back and watch it, watch it grow and flourish. Um, but I think that there is 
there, there are uh, opportunities to create schools like this around the country. In Chicago, they have urban prep. They have uh, a school in um, uh, the Atlanta area that's an all-boys college prep school. This, these models will be replicated over time. David? Having a Latin school? Yes. I'm sorry. We have to close this episode for today. It goes so fast. So much more yeah, to talk about. Thank you so much yes. for being here and for what you do and for your passion. For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Join me here again next week for another episode of Everyday Heroes. Everyday Heroes are what make America, America. Thanks for listening to Everyday Heroes. For more episodes and articles, check out everydayheroesproject.com.